Hey folks, welcome into Aunt Waveland. It's the Cubs podcast here at The Athletic. I am Brett Taylor, joined by Sahadev Sharma and Patrick Mooney. Going to talk Cubs, uh, the, the you know, rapidly improving their second half record Cubs. Uh, you know, you know what? Listen, I'm going to start there, guys. Oh wait, did I say it's Sahadev Sharma and that's Patrick Mooney? All right, it is. Uh, so I'm going to start there because I, you know, we often have remarked, because it's been true at very varying points over the last few weeks that the Cubs have had a quote winning record in the second half. And uh, we have had discussions at length about like, you know, what matters about winning right now for the Cubs? Does it, does it not? Da, 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 da. Two, two things on that though. Uh, for whatever reason, the winning against the pirates this weekend. So the Cubs took three of four um, after a pretty decent stretch before that. For some reason, yesterday was the day. This was Sunday. The Cubs took the series. I saw people complaining that the Cubs were hurting their lottery chances. And I don't... Like, that has been true for weeks and weeks and weeks. And I don't quite know why. The only... Here's my theory on why people were getting into it yesterday. Because it was a Bears football Sunday. And people were watching a almost certainly going to be bad Bears team win another game and it's like god damn it don't win those games this is pointless and i think it got in people's head they started thinking about these things and so they had it on the brain cubs are winning they notice oh my god the cubs now have the only the 11th worst record in baseball that's almost middle of the pack by the way folks yeah baby um and i just think it got in their heads and so i mean i got into a bit of a discourse i'm going to write about it more today at bleacher nation but um i just wondered why people are beefing on this now when it's been known for a long time they haven't been also you know what folks we have been saying on this podcast back when the cubs were in that five six range we were like well they're not this bad you know they're not actually this bad they they they're probably going to their teams that are going to be significantly worse are going to pass them well guess what that happened so uh yeah do you, you guys have any pet theories on why that has come up now and does it matter? You know, all, all of that good stuff. Not in terms of, we know why winning matters, but like, should there be any kvetching out there about uh, the Cubs rapidly falling lottery odds? Brett, I, I think uh, my optimistic scenario right now is that Justin Fields is on the Jalen Hurts program. Oh, we're not, we're not talking Bears. We can do. do we? God, that's, that is awfully optimistic. <laughs> Um, Best case scenario. Yeah. Uh, I'm always going to spin that I one. I still positive. support Justin Fields and everything, by the way, <laughs> folks. It's just, God, he looked so bad. Uh, so oh, bad. man. Yeah, no, I don't want to depress people with that one. So we'll we'll stick with depressing people about the Cubs. But yeah, I mean. <laughs> you mean brightening their day about the Cubs. These are different trajectories, baby. Come on. Uh, I, I mean, I get where people are coming from, and I think – I think part of it may be that they're that it's getting closer to the end of the season as well. Yeah, maybe the the Bears triggered oh, that, point, but I think point. you know there's a week left. What is it? Uh, nine games? Nine games, right? Nine, 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 I nine think, games. Yeah. It's it's wrapping up, and people are like, "Oh, wait a second, what? The Cubs are the only the eleventh worst team? Like that's, you know, I don't I don't know. I haven't put to memory yet all the odds and everything. What this means as far as their chances of being where uh, in the draft? Super. Super short version is they can land anywhere in the top six still because okay. that's all by lottery. They no longer, I think it's 
extraordinarily unlikely if they don't get one of those top six, which is pretty unlikely, they really will almost certainly land in the nine to 13 range, I think. Yeah. You know what? I, I think there's a couple things to consider here. Um, I, I, I get it. You want the best possible player, the best possible shot. There are going to be some interesting players in this draft. Uh, you want the Cubs to get that top five pick. I, I get all that from a fan perspective, but here's the thing. you What you want is a healthy organization, one that uh, shouldn't be thinking about, you know what, uh, we need a higher draft pick to get good players into our system uh, because good organizations don't think that way. They can find talent at 11, at 18, at 25, at, at 46, right? Uh, that's what the Cubs should be striving for. Yes, I get it. Better odds, better chance of getting an impact uh, talent into the system, possibly one that would only be one or two years away if you, if it's a college bat. Sure, I get all that, and I appreciate it. I just think it shouldn't be something that fans should be stressing out about. What you want is a team that's on the up, that, that teams, that, that free agents will look at and say, hey, they, they played well down the stretch. <laughs> if, if a free agent kind of dug into it, maybe they'd notice that they did all that with pin. players that aren't. Well, <laughs> yeah, put a pin in that one, yeah. okay? Because that was I had two things. Put a pin in that, and let me, don't let me forget. We're gonna come back yeah. to that part of it. I don't know if if it if it is that attractive to free agents, but I mean, the reality is they should be beating up on Pittsburgh and Cincinnati. If they're not, then I think we have more concerns about the organization as a whole. Uh, they, they, I think it, it says something about uh, David Ross and how he keeps the team together and focused and, and still caring about winning despite the fact that as Patrick keeps writing and I think is absolutely important to keep writing, yes, they're, they're good in the second half record-wise, but they were out of it in April and May. They were done. And, and so there's, there's a balance there. There's like, well, you don't want an organization that's out of it in April and May but you also have to give them some credit to say, hey, you were able to stay focused and 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 not give up in the second half and, and win some games. Uh, I, I think that that sh that should be the big takeaway right now, uh, even if, you know, it means not getting uh, who's the who's the top prospect. Dylan Cruz, is that his name? The LSU outfielder, even if it means he's out of out of, a, you know, out of it, the Cubs aren't getting him in the draft, you know, uh, let's trust, uh, let's trust that they have a healthy organization and can find the right player. Uh, you know, uh, Corey Seager was in that 11, 12, 13 range, right? Uh, there's some pretty great MLB's players. going to yeah. rig the draft for the Cubs. Anyway. Yeah. Right. So I mean, the, take it easy. <laughs> we'll, we'll have the David Stern, Patrick Ewing moment here. <laughs> you'll, you'll have to have some like frozen envelopes or something. Maybe that'll be like the giveaway at Wrigley. <laughs> But I don't know if I were a Cubs fan, I would <laughs> be concerned about the Cubs not falling in love with their own um, narratives and overestimating what they've done and what they have. And I thought it was interesting that Tommy Hadovy on Sunday said something along the lines of, you know, it's a little bit too lofty to think that all these young guys are going to throw like 170 innings last year. And he rattled off like five names, including Wisniewski and Keegan Thompson. And I think uh, these, whether it's Hadavi or David Ross or Jed Hoyer, I mean, guys who've worked for teams that have won world series that had like one of the best pitching and defense uh, combinations 
of all time that they're not overly impressed with what has transpired here in the second half. And to be honest, Brett, like you started talking about the record uh, after the all-star break so early, like, Oh, the Cubs are four and three since the all-star break that I kind of dismissed it to the point where uh, this weekend in Pittsburgh, I literally like triple checked on the game notes and baseball reference. Like, is that right? They're really like three games over 500 since the all-star break. It's kind of staggering, um, which shows how close attention I'm playing to these, these games. But um, no, I think, you take some of the positives and, you know, pat some guys on the heads during their exit meetings, then be like, we need a lot more good players ASAP. And kind of what I felt in Pittsburgh walking away from that conversation with Tommy Hadovy, like it's, it's kind of riskier to not go big at the front of your rotation because like how many more years can the Cubs, uh, withstand, um, of just being out of it, you know, at the start of the NBA playoffs, like that's a really, I'm sh- the Cubs will still make money no matter what, but the people making decisions, the people running the team, like be feeling a lot of heat. And sometimes it's better to just pay for what you know and a little more certainty than thinking they have like 10 starters now. I don't I don't think they do. They have depth and they need some guys at the front to lead the charge next season. All right, perfect segue there. I want to wrap the like second half thing with that other point I was going to make that Sahadi was referencing and that um, you were uh, joking about there, Mooney. And it was this when I when I mentioned that second half um, record thing. It is funny. I probably did do that. Like, oh, they're four and three. Um, it, I went back and looked, and because I had the same question that a lot of people did, I'm like, okay, yeah, but who are they playing? And even granting, you know, if you're a mediocre team, you should be beating bad teams. So that still is meaningful. But believe it or not. In the second half of the, I want to say, don't quote me on these numbers, folks, but when I checked, it was something like 13 of the 19 series that the Cubs have played in the second half, their opponent was still in a playoff race or playoff positioning battle. Like, they still had very much something to play for in 13 of the 19 series. I mean, that's notable, I feel like, especially in a second half where the Cubs have been missing a whole big chunks from some of their best players. I mean, they've, they've been without some of their most impactful players for huge stretches of that second half. And so I, to me, the part of that that we'll explore perhaps in the offseason, and I, you know, you you really sold me on the idea a couple episodes ago, Mooney, that um, we'll see what happens with the coaching staff in the offseason. If, if everything stays status quo, that'll be a yet another data point that like clearly the organization feels like that side of things is going very well. And to me, the success that the Cubs are having in the second half, despite all of the injuries and despite quote, not having anything to play for, boy, I think it probably does reflect really well on the coaching staff, the uh, run prevention infrastructure, the, the tutelage of the hitting coaches, all these things where it's kind of like they are getting some decent contributions out of a lot of guys that in years past, when they got into this phase, you know, back in, 2011, or excuse me, 2012, 2013, 2014, and uh, even last year, like they just really fell off in the second half, including in some individual performances, just degraded terribly when they were getting exposed more. Well, that hasn't happened this year. So that's interesting to me. Brett, well, um, real quickly, sorry. I, yeah. The point I was making, which you make a great point there, 
uh, I wasn't saying that the competition is weak. I was saying that they're doing, and you mentioned this, they're doing it without okay, gotcha. players that are likely going to be uh, impacting the roster next year. So if a free agent says, oh man, look at how good Nico Horner and Justin Steele and Seiya Suzuki are playing. And it's like, oh wait, they haven't been playing. So gotcha. what do these wins actually mean in the long run? But I appreciate your point of, well, they're coaching them up. They're finding hidden gems. They're doing these things. They're they're getting. They're maximizing maybe some some talent that that uh, isn't you know isn't elite talent or upper tier talent or even uh, that great. But they're they're maximizing that talent and get and turning it into wins and and finding uh, talent around the edges, so to say. And and I think that 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 matters. And and it's and it's a good good situation. Bottom line, the the wins the wins are nice. It's it's good to win. Uh, that that should never be uh, that that should always be obvious, right? Great, we're gonna I'm gonna get ripped by that one commenter again who's like, you interrupt Zahadev too much, and he's gonna say something really smart, and then you jump in because I just I did do it. Damn it. Uh, all right. Anyway, I like that Zahadev's burner. Uh, Let Zahadev speak. <laughs> Yeah. Well, and I seem to recall this commenter did not say anything about you, Mooney. So it's clearly it was it was just let Sahadev speak. Uh, okay. So to Sahadev's brilliant point there, and to Mooney's point as well from Tommy Hadavi, uh, one of the guys that the Cubs seem to be getting so much out of in the second half is Adrian Sampson, who uh, yesterday put together his fourth straight quality start. Virtually all of his starts uh, since being slotted permanently into the rotation have been competitive. I think we have said from day one, when you actually watch and you sort of see how he's doing it, it it gives you pause every time. You're like, there's just so much contact. Um, Yeah, he's managing his barrel rate is super low. How sustainable is that? You know, all of these things. But to his credit and to the Cubs credit, it just keeps freaking happening. He's up approaching 100 innings now of just like, keep getting results and I think the the way that connects to what we've been talking about is I love that we don't have to be having the conversation now of like you know you say all that and then you go and so hopefully he'll be really good as that fourth fifth starter next year um that's not even on anybody's radar including arguably Samson himself because some comments that he made I, I believe Mooney was there talking about good teams need 10 starting pitchers and you, you need that depth and it's, he's happy to slot in where he's needed and do all that. And it's like, man, if you enter spring training and Adrian Sampson is coming off this heater and he is a guy who has minor league options left. He's a guy who can pitch out of the bullpen. He's a guy who can start if necessary. If he's your six, seven, eight starter, that means you have some really good stuff going at the front of the rotation. And it means you have uh, likely set yourself up to have that kind of quality depth that you need because like how many how many pitchers on the Cubs roster next year are going to hit 150 innings three maybe four we don't know we'll see who they sign but it's like it's not going to be a huge number it's not going to be five and so and 150 by the way isn't even enough if you had five that's not going to cover your all your starts either so you know we know this we've talked about this for years that you need all of these starters and I just I very much appreciate that for as much success as we are seeing out of Adrian Sampson um, and, you know, like Keegan Thompson in this, in a way falls in the same category of like, 
Love what he's done since coming back from injury. These these two multi-inning outings in relief. He has looked f- like the best version of himself. What a luxury to be able to watch that and say, you know, and he's not needed to start. He doesn't have to start next year necessarily. He can be this guy. And Alzali can be this guy. Um, they may end up having to take some starts. But like, it's just so nice not to head into this offseason thinking, and I hope this guy works out in this specific role. And I hope this guy works out in this specific role. And ultimately, it does speak to your guys' point that, you know, the, the risk that the Cubs need to take at this point now is that person at the front of the rotation. That's the calculated risk that they need to take. So opening the floor, comments on Samson, the nature of his role and as we head into the offseason, and the front of rotation stuff. You can jump on any of that stuff you like. Yeah, generally, I think uh, what I find interesting just <laughs> talking about this. You know what, Zahid, I'm going to cut you off right there. I got <laughs> to. That, that made me think of something. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it, this brings me back to 2016 and just how much the game has changed and how differently we need to think about uh, roster building and, and how to attack a season uh, pitching-wise because – I feel like, and maybe correct me if I'm wrong, Patrick, because you'll you'll remember this as well, but Basio was really big on, like, you want, in theory, all five guys to get 200 innings. You want five starters. If you can somehow find five starters that can give you 200 innings, you're you're looking good. That's not always realistic. Uh, so you, if you can get three of them type thing, but Basio was big on the 200 inning mark and, and getting three or four or five. I did what, what a world to get five of I those think it, guys. I think it was Madden's um, maybe and, and that's, get a thousand innings from your rotation. Was that, it was something like that. I mean, Basio is that what, it is? Like, is know, that what I'm thinking? Yeah, okay. Obviously push those guys as much as you possibly could. But I think one of the Joeisms was something like, you know, it was probably on a t-shirt. Right. Right. And that's, yeah, yeah. And, but that's gone. That thinking is not there anymore because it's not how rotations are built. I mean, even look at, I mean, that 16 team, I want to say, didn't they all make their starts? Like, the, did they miss a start? Did they have to fill in? Did they I have think a they each made make a 30, start? Maybe? at least oh, 30 right. starts, uh, something like that. Something like, absurd. I mean, yeah, maybe like someone like Brian Mattis. Brian Mattis made a start, remember, against the Mariners. Uh, <laughs> oh, the, one of the best games ever. <laughs> yeah, uh, that, that's one of the few. But they, they made a ton of starts. It was a, it was one of those rare seasons that we probably will never see again. Because, I mean, look at the best teams right now. I mean, the Mets, the Dodgers, they're all cycling through starters because they're forced to. Like, it, they just, it, whether it's injury or by design, that, that's just how it is. Uh, and and I think it's it's to to focus on five starters is just not the way you can think about it yes you you have a front five that you open the season with uh but but you have to think about it as seven eight nine starters uh it's really important to think that way and and if you if you can find a way that samson is that seventh and eighth and he's good with that and he's uh, he's not a part of that opening day ra- or opening day rotation. That tells me that you've had a really strong off season because I've been waiting for the other shoe to drop on Samson. Uh, I've written about his changes. It's still hard to really say like, okay, this is this is who he is uh, going forward. But 
you know, right now he's, he's given us a hundred innings that tell me that he's, he's a different pitcher than he was in previous seasons and he's figured some things out. So you got to give him some credit there, but I, I don't know. I, I, I wouldn't go into next season locking him into a rotation spot, but if you can find a way that he's depth, that's, that's a big win. That is a big win developmentally. Uh, give pro scouting uh, uh, some credit there. All, all, all the credit in the world to the organization for finding a guy like that. And then if you nail this offseason and don't have him as one of the five, you've you've put together a good rotation, in my opinion. Sadam, I was actually thinking about that uh, yesterday in Pittsburgh of how 2016 – between Lester, Arietta, Hendricks, Hamill, and Lackey, they made each starter made between 32 and 29 starts. And oh, the Cubs might have to wait another 108 years before something like that happens. Like that was like crazy. And I think the other piece to this is just how how they have to evaluate things. Is like the pressure is totally off. Like they play for the Cubs now, and they have you know the uniform, and the games are on TV. But, like, this series in Pittsburgh was a drowsy event. And I love my job. I love the process of talking to people and interviewing people and writing stories and collaborating with you guys. Like, I love it. But, like, those three hours are pretty boring when the game actually happens. Like, there was no one in the stadium. Like, everyone's focused on, you know, the TVs in the clubhouse are focused on football, which would happen even in 2016. But just... Like when the bell rings in April next year or March 30th, whatever it is, like who can the Cubs count on and who's going to be ready for the moment? Like that's what I'm really curious about because it's been a long time since the Cubs have played games with like a lot of added pressure to them. And I'm not sure how many guys have really experienced that. You know, I think Andy Green had one of the quotes of the year last year of just like the emotional roller coaster that was knowing the end was near for that group and obviously whoever shows up to spring training last year won't have the same history with the city and the organization but if jed goes out and does his thing and adds some guys there's gonna be a lot of pressure and like what happens when the cubs are on their first three game losing streak or what if you know matt mervis is the opening day first baseman and he's like over 20 in like 30 degree weather at Wrigley field. Like how are the Cubs going to respond? Who's going to step up and produce so that some of these younger guys that are, they're hoping to incorporate while balancing the future and the now, like who's going to take that pressure off. And that to me is going to be really fascinating to see how, you know, I mean, these post game, you know, Ross, like why did you do this move in this inning? Like there's not a whole lot of, that right now and there's not a whole lot of um it's just a lot of guys who are happy to be there you know and there isn't that urgency um that should be there at the start of next season yeah that is a great point that it is fundamentally different playing now on this team in this situation than it would be in april of next year if the Cubs have made significant moves and sort of planted their flag that, hey, maybe this isn't the best version that will be over the next five years, but it's it's the whole let's go thing. And, you know, yeah, the Cubs won the division in 2020, but that's, I don't think anybody sees that as like a this, this great victory. So ultimately, you're really talking about it being, you know, 
four or five years since the Cubs did have that same like end to end performance of like being in it, being pressured, being exciting. And even the last taste in our mouth of that is 2018, which was that flailing September. And then the the tiebreaker game loss at Wrigley to the Brewers. And it just, just a thud. And so um, I think we think about that from the fan perspective a lot, but from the player and organizational perspective, I think there's a factor there too, that like that this would be the first time that they've entered in April since then. And it isn't just like still trying to carry over the good vibes or still trying to, you know, keep going with the group we have. It's like, no, we've reset and now we're trying to win again with something new. And that is going to be a different caliber of pressure. And I appreciate that you brought up Matt Mervis in that regard, because that is something with any young player that you don't know how they're going to respond to the big leagues at all and big league pitching or big league hitting, let alone that third deck on the stadiums out there and the, you know, just, just an entirely different caliber of play. And we could maybe wrap this with a, a little bit on Mervis specifically, because obviously his breakout this year between high A, double A and triple A is not something that was projected this season. He was not a tip top prospect. And, you know, to be a first base only guy, who came from off the radar to being as discussed as he is uh, only happens if the performance is just so off the charts strong that you he forces you to to say things like maybe he might be the opening day starter at first base next year. That would have been crazy six months ago to say. And I find myself not entirely unlike with Adrian Sampson, where I... I think it probably best for the organization if you're going into spring training and he doesn't have to be the starting first baseman, that you've got a situation in place where it's like, yeah, we we could cover, let's not sign any, you know, let's not re-sign Anthony Rizzo, for example. Let's let's try to have the position covered in a capable, thoughtful way. But if Mervis is the dude, he emerges and it's like, okay, we, it's open for him in that regard. But you're not counting on it. Just like you aren't counting on Adrian Sampson to be the fifth starter because... You know, it's not that I don't buy Mervis's performance so far. It's more just I feel like it has happened so quickly and without the kind of trajectory I'm used to in terms of like, okay, this is if a 24-year-old at AAA is doing this, it's like, oh, it's because he had that background of several years where he was on my radar and I this is a natural progression and I'm ready to say he's going to be the guy next year in the big leagues. I just am, am timid about doing that because of the rapidity of his ascent and the lack of significant scouting praise for him yet. But I feel like we're going to, I hope we're going to get a lot of that as we head into the off season and sort of some of the, that, that the roundup of, of uh, internal reports and external reports start to come together. And it's like, Oh, actually there were some big changes that led to this. So uh, yeah, that's, that's some of my Mervis thoughts. I know you have some, some comments on that side of, yeah. I, I mean, I think what's interesting is he will be 25, I believe, in April, right? So, so we're talking about an older prospect now. We're, and now you're talking about uh, what guys make their de- debut at 25 in their age 25 season and are really impactful players. Now, it's it's not out of the realm of possibility. I, I think Ryan Howard was older when he debuted. I can't remember his ex- exact age. Um, 
a scout and I were kind of going back and forth about this. What do the Cubs think about him? And, and I said, I think I think they like him. I think they like him a lot. I don't think they're ready to hand him the job, but I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility. The, the situation that you kind of brought up there, Brett, where he's one of the main competitors for that opening day job, but they bring in some backup plans. And I think ideally you'd like someone that a right-handed bat that can also be in there regularly. So he, he gets a lot of, uh, he, he doesn't have to face some tough lefty matchups, whatever it is, right? You have to find the right balance for him to ease him in, to not get him exposed and let him really grab that job and prove it early on and, and say like, Hey, here's who, who I am. I, I think I, I, so I was going back and forth with the scout and he said, I think Justin Bohr would be a nice outcome for him. Uh, and, and I think fans will immediately hear that and hate that, right? But go look at Justin Bohr's seasons, and, and there are a lot of, like, above average 110, 120 uh, weighted runs created plus seasons. Uh, it, it didn't last very long. It was, like, four years, but but it, it was quality, right, on a, on a bad Miami team, if I'm remembering correctly. Uh, but it, when I counter, like, what about a crazy scenario, which I don't think will happen, but what about Pete Alonso, who was about six months younger as far as trajectory, as far as age, uh, with uh, very similar minor league numbers? Yes, by the way. Uh, very similar. I I think that would be unfair to put on him. Completely unreasonable expectations, and I don't want to say that I think that can happen. Uh, but that's I think that's like the what you're looking at. Uh, uh, you, you'd hope he can be Justin Bohr enough, which is good enough. Uh, and dream on uh, better and dream on all-star power bat. Just remember how good you have to be on offense to thrive at at first base, right? He's going to have to be a stud for this to really work out. You want great offense at first base uh, because he's not going to give you like this elite Anthony Rizzo defense. Not that that's game changing, but it's important to have that type of defense. I just think it's an interesting – I'm really curious to see how this plays out. I'm curious to to talk to more scouts about him. Uh, I, I get those mixed reviews as well. Um, I think some of it may be older looks, so I really want to update those uh, those scouting looks and, and figure out – what I'm hearing will will be at the GM meetings and winter meetings, and I think that those will will probably hopefully run into some scouts that we can uh, bug with with those questions and and see what they think because I think he's one of the more intriguing guys because like you said, there's just not a lot on him that said like this guy's this guy's good. Just wait for it to click or anything like that. It was just like yeah, we're hearing stuff now, but I still don't know what type of prospect he is. So I, I think it's fascinating, and I do think that scenario you paint, Brett, is is a fair one, although that means they've spent in a lot of other areas. Because if you don't go get like that that good first baseman that you can trust, that means you've you've gone and upgraded other areas and said, like, well, we can get away with letting Mervis compete because we've upgraded here, here, and here and created all this depth in this these other areas. And then it's acceptable. It's interesting you mentioned Justin Bohr because I believe the same Cubs scout, Billy Swope, signed him and uh, Mervis, obviously, well, several years apart. Um, but yeah, I spoke with uh, Mike Roberts this weekend in Pittsburgh. Uh, he's a former Cubs minor league consultant. He's been their guy in the Cape Cod League for a while now. He now uh, works with... 
the Pirates, his kid, Brian Roberts, probably remember him, played for the Orioles. He was a longtime uh, head coach at UNC Chapel Hill. And he had Mervis in the Cape Cod League. And I just kind of talked to him to try and understand, like, who is this guy? Like, how did this happen? And he he made a couple good points of just starting with, you know, Mervis is like 6'4", I don't know, 240 pounds, something like that. He's like, he was a man when he entered professional baseball. Like, we've seen the Cubs with their sports science and, you know, let's get him into the high performance camp. Like, Mervis, like, came in as a legit 22-year-old, like, athlete. And he said, you look at Nico, look at Kyle Hendricks. Like, those guys who've gone to elite academic institutions, like, they're sometimes wired very differently and that they're competitive. They've competed in the classroom. You never have to worry about them being on time or doing the work and that Mervis is a perfectionist. And so that year in the Cape, he said their third, their primary third baseman, their primary second baseman were both drafted in the top two rounds. One was like a top 10 pick by the Pirates, the other by the Giants. He's like, if you just showed up and saw our games, Mervis would not look out of place. You wouldn't have said, oh, the third baseman's way better than the second base. They all just looked like they had a lot of major league potential. And his final point was that he's like, I think if there was a full 2020 season, you wouldn't be as surprised by how what has happened. He's like, now how fast it's happened is definitely surprising. But he's like, there were a lot of raw ingredients and elements there for a guy who was you know, it's not like he was at some division two program or like playing independent ball. I mean, Duke in the ACC, but it was just a matter of getting the reps and the opportunity to showcase. And it sounds like there was, you know, for whatever reason, Mervis never really got that or they never picked a lane. Um, you know, from Mike's perspective, he didn't think the pitching was that all that special. It was kind of 90, 92. They thought his future was as a hitter and at a certain point I mean Tadev and I have talked about this a lot over slack like you kind of just throw up your hands like he's put up a ton of numbers like you should be skeptical you have to go out and invest in other areas like big time um this is not an excuse to say oh well, they got first base locked up so like let's not do anything else it's just no I mean you know, Ross that's how I put it to him. I mean, is he in a position to go win a job in spring training? He's like, that's definitely on the radar. He's like, when you put up a season like that, the next step's the big leagues. And now you have to hedge if you never know what's going to happen in the offseason. And, you know, we'll see if he, you know, falls on his face in spring training or some, I don't know, Josh Bell falls into their lap in a way that they didn't expect. Like, lots of things can happen. But if you give him a chance to get a ton of at-bats in the Arizona Fall League, if you have him in your complex. I mean, what did Theo say when he came in? Like defense is something that you can get better at just through sheer work. And if you just have him uh, focus on first base, there comes people things say, you know, he's more athletic than he gets credit for. He's so big and he looks kind of lumbering that he probably gets downgraded, but the guy can throw low nineties in the ACC. Like there's something to work with there. And if he is this like, perfectionist um, star student, like see what he can do in the offseason. Players can get better. And it sounds like he's someone who's very confident and very determined um, that maybe you take a shot while spending big money 
in several other areas. I think uh, last few things to mention on Mervis, and we'll wrap uh, one. He'll get some additional work uh, this offseason in the Arizona Fall League. He'll be going there as part of the Cubs group, so that'll be good to see him face some more uh, high-level pitching competition. And uh, as far as this, the, the breakout and the trust of it, there are a couple additional things to just keep in mind that I, I have to remind myself of, um, particularly in relation to his age. Because of the pandemic season, which essentially stripped him of uh, what would have been an entire collegiate year, which maybe he would have broken out, maybe he's a second or third rounder, and as a first base only guy, that's, that's a pretty darn high draft pick. Um, and there also was a very limited 2021 season for him. Um, I mean, there were still some pandemic related disruptions in player development, but I believe he had maybe some minor injury issues that just limited his total exposure. It was a very short season for him. And as a guy who was, um, not converting, but starting for the first time in a long time to focus only on the positional side, because he was a two-way player, uh, really, you could argue that 2022, this year, was his first very full season of just focusing on his uh, hitting craft, where he had end-to-end ability, including the offseason, to be able to work with everyone and put everything together. And um, he's older, yes, but in terms of professional experience, he's still pretty inexperienced. And so maybe if you wanted to, you could talk yourself into saying that's all the more reason to buy the breakout as being legit and not an artifact of something that can't be replicable. So I think, uh, yeah, I think we all land in the same place, which is that this is what he's done is incredible this year. Uh, he could be a useful or better piece for the Cubs next year, but maybe not let's proceed in the off season as though that's a definite and the Cubs need to figure out a path toward covering first base that doesn't block Mervis if, he just continues to explode. Uh, all right. Good, good pod, gents. Uh, we, this is on to Waveland. It's the Cubs podcast at The Athletic. I'm Brett Taylor. You can get my stuff at Bleacher Nation. That's Sahad of Sharma and Patrick Mooney. Get theirs at The Athletic, including a recent piece on Mervis himself. Uh, so check that out. And we will be back at you later this week. Cubs uh, open up their series against the Phillies on Tuesday. Chance that Nick Castellanos returns uh, from a long injury for that series. So that'd be, I think, fun for fans to see him and Schwarber in the outfield there at Wrigley. And we'll talk to you on Thursday. Take care, all. Take care.